Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll be reading together there in just a moment. We have for the last few weeks been talking about the kingdom of heaven here on earth and God's desire, God's plan, God's purpose that we would be one. Sin came and brought division, fractured our relationships, brought hatred, separation, but it is through the grace of God that we are being transformed and that He brings restoration to the broken and makes us one. Last week, we read chapter 2, and in, the, in chapter 2, the word one appears many, many times. Next week, we're going to be reading chapter 4, and in chapter 4, the word one appears many times, but in chapter 3, it appears once. So, take a look with me at verse 6, where it says, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He says the gospel changes everything. People have been divided, especially along ethnic lines. Still happens, doesn't it? That's what chapter 2 spent a lot of time talking about. But he says, in the kingdom of heaven, the two or more become one. He tells us here that the kingdom of heaven has actually come and that people are being invited in to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. It, so I've got a picture for you, maybe to help you see it better. Maybe it'll make it worse. If it's worse, forget I said it, okay? So just imagine that I've got this huge, huge tank of maple syrup behind me, and I've got a big hose coming out. And so I turn the knob, and the syrup starts coming out of this hose and landing on the floor. The people who clean the church won't like that very much. But I, instead of turning it off, I just let it keep coming. You know what happened. The, the puddle, the little spot becomes a puddle, and the puddle becomes bigger, and before long it's running down, down the steps. If we, if, this is a really big tank, by the way. And if we just keep standing here, before long it's going to be running past all of your feet and out the door and through the foyer, out the front door of the church, spreading and spreading. And Paul is saying that's the way the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus brought the grace and the mercy of God, and it has started, and you're in it, you who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and as we continue to follow Him, as we love one another, bringing sweetness in the bitterness of this world. That's why we have syrup, okay? As we bring love, then the puddle is no longer a puddle. It becomes a pond, and it becomes a lake, and it becomes an ocean. That's the plan of God, that His love transforms people's lives and takes all the brokenness and he makes it whole, and he restores the relationships, 
and he makes us one. Now, this week, somebody told, told me, he said, you know, the people at church, some of them talk, and they say, you talk too much about love. Well, I just want you to think about how we do the messages. We start at the front of a book, and we go through it, and we preach through it. We don't skip over stuff. So when we were reading Matthew last spring, we just finished 1 Corinthians, you know, took a lot of weeks to do, go through it, but, but as, when we were doing Matthew and doing the parables, some of the parables talked about judgment is coming if you don't repent. But you know how we do this. We just start and we go on through. There's a whole lot more about the love of God in the New Testament than there is about judgment and condemnation. That's just the way it is. Are there consequences for choosing sin and refusing to repent? Oh, absolutely. There's all that brokenness, and eventually there will be judgment. But, but Paul says what you need to seize the love of God. In fact, let's read together. We're going to start reading at verse 14. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, let's stop just a second. I know that's the middle of a sentence. Love. We have a word for all kinds of attachments, and we, the, our word in English is love. But Greek is not that way. This was written in Greek. Ephesus was a Greek-speaking town. Paul wrote it in Greek because he wanted them to know what it said. He knew other languages. He could have written it in that. He wrote it in Greek because he wanted these Greek people to understand what it says. And he chose the word for love here. This is not the word that is used for love between brothers. This is not the word that is used for love between a man and a woman. This is a love. This word is the word that means the kind of love where I think only of you and I don't think at all about the cost to myself. I am willing to sacrifice everything if that's what you need because I am giving all of my resources that are available to you right now. It's, he says and established in, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What's Paul praying for them to experience? For us, for whoever reads this letter, what's he praying that we experience? The magnitude of the love of God. He wants us to know it, not just say, oh, well, I know some things about it. We use the word agape to, to talk about the love of God. and No, he wants us to know it by experiencing it, not because somebody just told us about it. He's already told us back in chapter 1, he's already told us that God lavishly pours out his love upon us. Now, I think this is a very important, this passage we read today, and here's why. Because in the last weeks, multiple times, people who have, who, who have been a part of our church, who are a part of our church, have told me, well, you know, I've never experienced the, the love of God. I've just, I, I've heard about it and everything, but I've never really experienced it. And I think, oh my goodness, that's not good. That's certainly not what God wants for us. He wants us to experience it. Not to just say, well, they told me at church that God loves me, but instead that we say, I know God loves me because I have experienced it in my life. And I've asked some people to come and share with you a story of one time, just one time, when they have experienced the love of God. So, there's three of you here. Come on up. We could spend the rest of the morning because many of you say, oh, I could tell you a story. But we're going to let these three tell us a story. So, I don't care whether you come up here or go down. I don't care where you are. Just, you can, come on. You're on your way, Tess. So, Tess, why don't you be first? Okay. Good morning. Uh, about five years ago, I was um, having a pretty difficult time. I was in the middle of a divorce and feeling very guilty and feeling like I had let my kids down, let my parents down, and God must be pretty disappointed in me. So um, one night I was out walking, and I was about to walk past the church where I had gotten married. And I know they don't lock the doors until 8 p.m., and it was only around 7, so I thought, I'm going to go in and sit down and pray. And we know that we can pray anywhere, right? You don't have to go to church to pray, but this was a place that I had been avoiding, so I just felt like I had to do it. So I went in, and um, there was no one there. I went up to the front and sat down in front of that altar where I had said my vows, and I just poured out my heart to God, and I told him how sorry I was. And what I heard him say back to me was, I forgive you, and I love you. And God is such a good father. Um, he doesn't say, how could you do this? You don't listen to me. You know, all those things that we 
hopefully don't say when our kids come to us with bad news, but at least I'm thanking them, right? But um, all I heard God say was, I forgive you and I love you. And I sat there for a while. It was an overwhelming experience of love. And uh, I just kept saying, it's just you and me now, God. It's just you and me. And I felt like he said, yes, it's always you and me. It's always you and me. And that's so true. We can have people in our lives, friends, no friends, but we have God, always. So um, I don't feel that kind of powerful experience very often. I remember that because it was unusual. Um, but the thing about God's love is that it is very present and very real, whether we are feeling it or not. It's not about how we're feeling. It's about who he is, and mm -hmm. he doesn't change. So. Wonderful. Thank you, Tess. When pastor asked me, I wrote down this, moments of God's love. I knew everyone here would have them. You know, some are big moments. Some are expected. Like when I got married, I can remember knowing the love that the Lord was putting my wife and I together, and it's been 55 years, so that's a big expected one. When my children came, that was another big expected one to show how God blesses with that. But what about the unexpected? What about the mundane? God's word promises nothing can separate us from, the, uh, from God's love. But I praise him for demonstrating it sometimes um, for no reason at all. I told my small group about this a couple of months ago, so you can test me uh, by asking anybody that's in my class how God's love showed up when I was vacuuming. <laughs> As I vacuumed, I started to sing songs like, Love Lifted Me, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And God broke in, and I began to weep, not cry, but weep. I felt like his presence cascaded over me, something like this example of, you know, the syrup just sort of oozing down slowly <clears throat> over me from my head to my feet. I don't want to encourage, vacuuming is not a spiritual tool. <laughs> I still do not like vacuuming. Um, but, it's for, but it was for me the mundane, unexpected time God broke in. It reminded me of his presence at all times. And I also know that he can break in on your times of unexpected and mundane things too. And if Elijah was looking for God and an earthquake, and a wind, and a fire, and he had a still small voice. I didn't, I, I didn't deny him his presence of a, a song of love to him and a humming vacuum to uh, dissuade me to know that he loves me so much. In the spring of 2003, Joyce and I were living in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada where I'd served as a district superintendent for eight years. And in the spring of that year, I had, was getting the clear indication, God was saying, okay, uh, you're done here, and it's time, I have something else for you. 
I didn't know what it was or anything like that. I talked to the general superintendent and I'll do that. Weeks went by, months went by, and nothing, nothing, no indication of what he had in store for us. And it was a very difficult time for us, wondering, God, you've been leading us all of these years and we've been serving you and, and you tell us that we're done here, and, but you're not telling us now where we're going to go or what we're going to do. And during that difficult time of months going by, then late that summer, Joyce and I came here to Rochester to visit our daughter, Kathy and Michael and family, and we came to church here. And I don't know exactly how it happened. Probably Joyce cried on Karen or your shoulder or something. Anyway, telling, telling them the time of dismay that we we're in, not knowing what God has in store for us. Shortly after that, we got a phone call from Pastor Mark. Make a long story short, it ended up that we came here on staff for three years, living in that nice little home right next door where Tyler and Carrie live. It was a wonderful three years, and during that time, we experienced the love of God because it was shown to us by you people and Pastor Mark and Karen. We experienced the love of God. We experienced your care, your compassion, your openness and reception. And during those three years, God did show us what he wanted us to do. And we recycled our ministry for the next 10 years, and it was wonderful. But we experienced the love of God from you people. Some of you were here back then. And I just say thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. I didn't know he was going to say that. I know I didn't ask. I just asked if you would share. Yeah, he told me uh, not too long ago, he said, yeah, nobody wanted us. Nobody wanted us but Calvary. I thought, well, that was really good for us. We're glad that God brought him and Joyce here to be a part of our church family. Do you see, people experience the love of God. It's not just something you hear about in Sunday school or you read a Bible verse or something. God wants us to experience, to experience. He wants you to experience His power and His love in your life. I got some pictures here. Um, when, on June the 24th, 1974, 45 years ago, that was a time when I experienced the love of God in an amazing way. I, it, I had never seen it so clearly. I experienced the magnitude on that day. Now, you might say, why do you remember that date? That's why I remember that date. There's nothing else special about June the 24th in any year that I know of. But it's because I experienced the love of God. Now, I was a flatlander, grew up out there on the prairie. So if you live out on the prairie where everything is, looks the same every day, there's no trees, you know, you just see the brown grass and the blue sky. 
So what do, what do prairie people do? They go to the mountains whenever they get a chance to see trees. And uh, so on June the 24th, it didn't look like this, but earlier this year, it's been 45 years, and many times I thought, I want to go back, I want to go to the spot. And so earlier this year, I went back to this little, little town, has a population of 926 people tucked away in the mountains, and I went back to the spot where this occurred. So let's see the next photo. There's the building right up there on the right. That's the building where it occurred. Let's see the next photo. So I had, I mean, it's 45 years. I figured things would be different. Well, I figured they'd remodeled. I figured, I thought, who knows what this place is going to be like. But I remembered very specifically the spot. And so the, the building was locked. And I'm looking through the door. I took this picture through the door. I was sitting right in front of those windows that are right in the center And while they have gotten new tables and new chairs, it's the same bench. The bench is right there. I was sitting right there at the end of this first table here in the picture. That's the spot. And it reminded me once again how gracious is the love of God because He changed my life that day. I have never been the same since I saw the magnitude of the love of God. I had thought, well, you know, from time to time, you know, maybe three times a year, you experience the love of God. And as I continued to follow Jesus, I found out that's not the way it is at all. Do you understand? We are swimming in the love of God all of the time, engulfed in His love. Now, we maybe aren't, aren't aware of it, but if we, if we are, are being spiritually aware, we can, we can live every moment, every moment, experiencing God's love. And it transforms the way we live. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. I want you who have read this, you who are, are reading this, I want you to experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Well, why do some of us experience and some of us don't? Well, to help us understand, I've got a picture here of the InSight Explorer. It's sitting on Mars today. It arrived in Mars last November. And it slowly has activated. I don't know why it does it all slowly. I'm sure there's some really good reason. But it slowly activates the different sensors that are a part of it. Now, you see, some people think Mars Explorer, it's got wheels. No, all of them don't have wheels. This one landed. It's going to sit there. It's not going to go anyplace. And uh, there's all kinds of information that it's gathering. It doesn't have one sensor. It could have only one camera. And then the scientists would get the pictures and try to figure out what they can figure out from just a picture. It has two cameras. But it doesn't just have cameras. It's got a weather station on it with all kinds of different sensors that, that transmit information about the weather on Mars, the wind, the temperature, all kinds of things. 
It's got a seismograph. A seismograph that's 30 times more sensitive than most seismographs are here on Earth, so that it can, so that it can measure Mars quakes. You know, they don't have earthquakes on Mars. Because the purpose is to help scientists understand what is below the surface in Mars. What is it like? You've seen the pictures in school, you know, the Earth, mantle, crust, uh, and uh, the core, and all this kind of stuff. They want to know what's inside Mars. It also has a thing that it's unsuccessfully trying to get to go down about two feet in the, in the soil. It's hit something. Well, they don't know. So that they can... The service. We have lots and lots of sensors but they're not turned on. They're not turned on. <clears throat> I was very blessed to have some people as a child in my life who, who understood it was important to help turn on sensors in a child's mind so they would grow up being aware of God and His activity in their life and around them. My mother read to my sister, my brother, and I every day the Bible. By the time I was eight years old, I was, would have been able, because we had done it several times already, I would have been able to tell you every story in the Bible, because my mother taught them to us. Well, not the lurid ones. She skipped over a few of them. The Bible doesn't whitewash stuff. It tells it like it is, and she thought we were a bit young to know how it really is about some things. So she skipped those, but the rest, I could have told you the stories. Why? Because I'm brilliant? No. <clears throat> because I had a mother who wanted me to know what the Bible said. And so every day she read to us. I had a grandfather also who, uh, he, he was a flatlander too. So every summer he would take me to the mountains. <clears throat> now going to the mountains was not for him uh, just a, oh, let's get out of the heat and let's get up in the, the mountains. It was, it was a spiritual experience. He was a man with lots of spiritual sensors turned on. And so he would talk about us being there in God's great outdoors and look what God made and look what God did and just <clears throat> everything. He was always talking about God and and. And uh, we'd sleep out there. We'd go camping, not like you wimps. <laughs> no RVs, no tents. You just roll that sleeping bag out there on the ground underneath the stars and go to sleep looking at the stars overhead. So I had people like that. The scriptures tell us ways that the sensors can be turned on. So if you say, I'm not really sensitive to things like Tess or Dick or Dave told. That doesn't happen in my life. I want you to know you are swimming in the love of God, whether you know it or not. So Paul says, I want you to know it. So in Acts chapter 2, it tells us what the early believers did. 
And you, you may look at these things and say, oh, that's just a bunch of legalism. No, it's not. This is the way. It's like we're throwing open the windows and the doors of our souls so that the syrup of the love of God can come in. So how do we open the windows and the doors? Well, it says, these first followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Where do we find that? That's the New Testament. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So how do we do that? We read the Scriptures. We read it every day. Say, oh, I just am too busy. I can't do that. And then I would say, well, then you don't want to experience the love of God very much. Oh, yes, I do, Pastor. I do too. No, you don't. Because here is a very simple way you can begin to turn on these sensors, the spiritual sensors in your life, and you're too busy to bother. And then you say, I never experienced the love of God like Tess. You have to be aware. It's, it's all around you. He's doing stuff in your life all the time. And you're just, you're not even aware because it's not important enough for you to be aware. So, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. Not these, oh, my boss is starting to yell. I better pray. God, help me. Now, if your boss is, getting, is starting to yell, you probably do need to pray, God, help me. But that's not the kind of prayer we're talking about, not emergency prayer. There's nothing wrong with emergency prayer, but we're talking about, I want to know God, so I'm going to spend time with Him every day. Say, I'm too busy. I want you to know you're too busy not to do that. But I also know that I'm not convincing you guys, at least some of you. It's just, I know, but I'm telling you the truth. That's the way you open a window. There are other things that, that it lists there. It talks about receiving the sacraments. <clears throat> it talks about being involved with the fellowship, being devoted to the fellowship. What's the fellowship? The people of God, the followers of Jesus, getting together with them and experiencing love for them and from them. You see, we all have issues. We all need help. And so we help one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and, and share our struggles with one another. And somebody else says, well, here is what the Spirit of God has shown me in the past when I was having a struggle. And so we lift each other up, and that's turning on spiritual sensors. Talks about serving. Talks about giving. They were real givers. You know what they did? They saw these bills. People gave because they took care of everything. Now, we're not going to do that here, okay? I don't want that responsibility. So, we're not going to do that. But the thing is, they had a generous heart. They were just shockingly generous. Are you shockingly generous? So it lists there. It lists, there, there are things we can do not because we're supposed to do it, 
that because we want to throw open the windows of our soul to turn on all of the sensors so we are aware of what God's doing in our lives. This is what the Word of God says. God is speaking, and He says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the question today is, how hard are we seeking Him? How high of a priority is that really for us? Truthfully. Because, as Paul says, God is lavishly pouring out His love upon you every moment of every day caring for you, providing for you, giving guidance to you. So have you grasped how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for you?